Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the latest from lawmakers at the state capitol, a unique homeless outreach program making waves in Rochester, and Homer Hankey's return. But first, policymakers and state and federal leaders convened this week at the state capitol for a workshop on election cybersecurity. I spoke with Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon for an update. The one big takeaway for me is that election security is a whole-of-government issue. And it requires a whole-of-government response. Our office, of course, at the Secretary of State's office, takes a lead role in many respects, but it really touches so many others. Obviously, the governor's office, uh, what's called MINUT, which is a central sort of IT uh, office in the state, uh, the National Guard, uh, the Department of uh, Minnesota Management and Budget. It really touches a lot of different areas and requires, for a comprehensive solution, the input and the effort of a lot of different people. So that's really a comforting thing in many ways. I know it can sound like a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but to me, I came away really comforted by the fact that we all have a piece of this and we all have a role to play and we're on the same page, which is a good thing. Uh, Mr. Secretary, maybe it goes without explaining necessarily why your office would be involved or why MINUT, which is IT for the state, would be involved. Tell me what the National Guard's involvement would be. Sure. Well, we had an arrangement with the National Guard in 2018. We sort of dipped a toe in the water where for a couple of days, uh, National Guard personnel in Minnesota were engaged in um, efforts just around Election Day to help us monitor our system. It was really an introduction to them and their cybersecurity folks in terms of learning our system, learning our network. And what we're hopeful of is that in the future, and nothing is set in stone yet, but we're talking with them about renewing that kind of relationship so that in case of a cyber incident, as they call it, uh, it could be a hack, it could be some other intrusion, that they will be ready and able to help us and help others throughout the state respond if it came to that. So we're excited about the prospect. Again, no commitment has been made yet. The prospect of reengaging the National Guard so that they can further learn our network and our system and be in a position to help us if, God forbid, there's a problem. You know, there there would probably be listeners out there who hear stories about, uh, for example, the Department of Human Services or other state agencies that have had some issues over the course of the last uh, several months, or if, if not longer, uh, and their confidence may be a little bit low in some of those state agencies right now to be able to protect uh, their their private information uh, or their voter information. What would you say to those listeners out there that would be concerned that uh, the state is, is protecting their information the best that they can? Well, voter privacy and information privacy is absolutely key. And uh, I've said that in many contexts over the last number of years. The good news in Minnesota is we have systems in place that make us um, quite secure. For example... Uh, Minnesota is a paper ballot state, unlike other states, and there are many of them, that do touchscreen voting with no paper trail or no receipt. In Minnesota, we are paper-based. So technically, we could, in Minnesota, put on an entire election without using any 
electronic component. We could do that. It would take longer. Let's say the power went out, something like that. But as a result of being a paper ballot state, it means that there is less need for the frequent transmission of personal data. Um, our systems are good. Our track record is good. Even though Minnesota was targeted by a foreign government in 2016, we know that we withstood the challenge. We kept the bad guys out. Uh, you did mention that uh, there was an attempt to, to breach the system here in Minnesota in 2016, and you and, I, you and I have had several conversations in the past, uh, intelligence officials warning that uh, it's likely that that uh, will be attempted again in the upcoming election and perhaps even by uh, more bad actors than in 2016. I'm hoping you can give me an update. Do we have any new information about what uh, might be in store for us with the upcoming election? Well, all I can say responsibly uh, is to repeat what public intelligence, what, what intelligence officials have said publicly. I, I have had um, access to some classified briefings, but I, I, I can't get into too much detail other than to say that the intelligence authorities have warned us to expect more of this kind of thing and potentially from more sources, not just the one government that was revealed in 2016, but maybe other governments or non-governmental actors as well. But really, in the end, from our office's uh, point of view, we don't really care who's trying to intrude or for what purpose. Our job is to keep them out, whether they're foreign or domestic, whether they're supporting candidate A or candidate B or no candidate. Our job ultimately is to keep folks out. And while it's interesting and noteworthy uh, and important to find out who was responsible, in the end, particularly on an election day, what we're concerned with is that no one gets in the system, regardless of their motives, regardless of where they come from. And so that's what we're focused on. And, Mr. Secretary, we like to think that the uh, the intelligence officials and our state leaders and our federal leaders are, are keeping a good eye out for, for potential dangers down the road. But is there something that voters can do to, uh, to also keep an eye out? I think so. There are a couple things. One is, from a technology standpoint, it's the old thing. If you see something, say something. If you have a particular hunch or bad feeling about something in terms of, you know, potential hacking or intrusion, uh, in an election context, you can always call our office, the Office of Secretary of State, or contact us any way you can, or your county or city uh, election official. Uh, that person would have a good insight into what may be going on. The second thing I would say is, remember, there, there are two main ways that an adversary or anyone can try to intrude or interfere with our election. One is the infrastructure piece, which is our computer networks, which is, uh, you know, uh, ballot tabulators and things like that. But the other one is simply by spreading disinformation and misinformation out there on social media platforms, uh, on other mainstream uh, sources. And so I think it's up to all of us, me, you, everyone listening, to be um, careful news consumers. Don't just forward that thing that someone sent you on social media without checking it. If it looks like it's too outrageous uh, to be true, it probably is. And so I think, you know, we don't want to get in a situation where a foreign adversary or anyone is trying to pit Americans against one another with all sorts of fantastic and untrue claims. So we can do our part by just being good, careful readers and consumers of news. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon. Reporter Bill Werner will be up next with a recap of other things that happened at the state capitol this week when Minnesota Matters returns.
We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what, father, what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Health insurance popped back on the political radar screen this week in Minnesota. And of course, presidential politics is always on that radar screen with only a year and a month to the election. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with a recap. Scott, state officials this week released expected health insurance costs for 2020 for those buying on the private market or through Minsure. And Republicans this week claimed credit for a third straight year of relatively stable health insurance premiums. Preston Representative Greg Davids is the lawmaker who spearheaded reinsurance legislation. That has the state pick up coverage costs for those with the most serious medical conditions with the goal of holding down everyone else's premiums. The administration bought this thing tooth and nail. I mean, they were not going to renew it. It's a bailout to the insurance companies, which it's not, but uh, the money doesn't actually go to the insurance companies. Uh, basically, is a safety net uh, for people that have large claims uh, so that it doesn't spike up premiums. And it's worked beautifully, uh, and it's continuing to work. We've stabilized rates, although they're stabilized at a much higher rate. But uh, I think they came to the realization that even though they were very much against it, uh, they realized it was the, uh, we had to have it. Do you think that this just needs to be continued indefinitely? Is that your your stance on it? Well, it, we do need to continue it to uh, keep the rates stable. If we let it go, you'll see tremendous spikes in rates, uh, and you'll see fewer carriers. I don't think the DFL wanted to be responsible for another round of 50% increases like the responsibility they have for the 106% over a three-year period. So, uh, we did what we needed to do, and if they have better ideas, I'm more than willing to listen to them. Uh, otherwise, we will need to continue reinsurance. Governor Tim Walls takes strong issue with David's statements. Let's just be clear. I never made the case that reinsurance might not stabilize the cost, but stabilizing too high of cost, stabilizing too high of deductibles, and not making any meaningful change for bending the cost curve was not the best solution. And so out of fairness on this, to negotiate with them and to make sure the provider tax data in place that actually did have an impact on all those things, I was willing to negotiate with them. But for them to take full credit, that, that, that's ludicrous. Uh, if they're taking credit for keeping prices high in health care, if they're taking credit for keeping people out of insurance, they should do that because you don't get to do both because the... Uh, the stabilization is good, but we still got too many Minnesotans that are paying too much and access is too restricted. So I will once again ask them, be more creative than giving subsidies to health insurance companies when it comes to people's health. Let's start thinking wellness. Let's start thinking preventative care. Let's start thinking creatively rather than uh, a Band-Aid at the end. Governor Tim Walls. 
Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar is among a dozen candidates who this week qualified for the fourth Democratic presidential debate, October 15th in Westerville, Ohio. Klobuchar rolled out her first campaign ad this week aimed at Iowa and New Hampshire. If you feel stuck in the middle of the extremes in our politics and you are tired of the noise and the nonsense, you've got a home with me. In the ad, Klobuchar takes a clear swipe at President Trump, saying she wants to be president for all of America, not half. Polls this week showed Klobuchar in the bottom half of the Democratic field. One of those in the top half of the Democratic field, Bernie Sanders, had a heart procedure for a blocked artery this week, which Carleton College analyst Stephen Shearer calls a serious setback for his presidential campaign. There are several effects of the uh, health reversal for Sanders on the Democratic field. First of all, his main rival for the left wing of the party is Elizabeth Warren. This will further boost her candidacy, which has been rising in any event before this. Second of all, this brings up the age issue generally uh, and may give some uh, Democrats uh, pause about nominating any older candidate. Uh, And so the obvious problem there is for Joe Biden, who is also in his late 70s, like Bernie Sanders. The age issue has come up in campaigns before. We certainly remember Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale's comment, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the, uh, but Reagan was younger. <laughs> that's a good point. He was, wasn't he, yeah. at, at the time? Yeah. Um, realistically, do you think it, that it could reshuffle this whole race? Uh, yeah, I think an event like this has implications throughout the race. Uh, it will probably cause some Sanders supporters to look elsewhere. Uh, it does raise questions about the age and health of all the candidates. And so it's a major event on the campaign trail this year. Well, Republicans certainly know who their candidate will be, and President Trump will make his fourth visit to Minnesota in 16 months with a planned campaign rally Thursday evening at Target Center in Minneapolis. We talked with Hamlin University professor David Schultz about the significance of another Trump visit at this particular time. I think there's a couple of reasons why the president is doing a fourth trip. First, it starts off with the idea that, what, he thinks he can win the state of Minnesota, and there's evidence that suggests that Minnesota is tilting at least towards becoming a more competitive state and not simply Democrat. So I think he views this as part of his broader reelection strategy. Second, I think he's making the campaign visits now to try to solidify his base and support, especially in light of the fact that some of the recent events in the news revolving around Ukraine and that um, he's, I think, worried that they, you know, he might lose support there. I think he's concerned that perhaps if he doesn't shore up support now, maybe some of the farmers in Minnesota who may be hurting from some of the trade wars might defect. So I think it's a strategic preemptive strike as well as a smart move just to now what? Force Democrats to go on the defensive in Minnesota. How much does the Ilhan Omar uh, feud that he that pops up periodically? Uh, you think that's going to going to be uh, uh, continued uh, when he makes a stop in Minnesota? I I definitely do, and that Ilhan Omar has played well for him with his base um, across the United States, and I think it plays well with him, reasonably well with him in rural Minnesota. So I think part of his strategy has always been to run against Ilhan Omar. That's Hamlin University professor David Schultz. Scott, thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Last fall, a former Rochester nurse and his wife started a nonprofit called The Landing MN to connect people struggling with homelessness to services that can bring them closer to stability. Reporter J.W. Cox joins us with a look at their efforts. Scott, founders Dan and Holly Fifield have spent nearly a year now without a permanent location for the landing. But Dan says that hasn't kept them from making an impact day by day. Well, as it sits right now, we do um, a lot of on-the-street outreach work with the folks that are facing homelessness here in Rochester. And we're, at the moment, trying to secure a building where we can open day center. So there's a lot of legwork going on with that, talking with individuals that are going to be involved in just doing that. But the, the main focus is trying to help those that are facing homelessness in Rochester right now connect the dots, if you will, find the services that they need to successfully get into housing. And we also do medical outreach with them as far as that's concerned. So there's a lot, uh, a lot going on. That busy day-to-day has led to tangible success for some of the area homeless. We've got 10 people being placed in permanent shelter. Just in the last month, we've been involved with four people that have been approved for housing. Two this week that we're moving in to shelters, which is huge. The other part of what we do is the outreach and building those relationships, finding out what's going on with the people. And and in Rochester, there are a lot of people that are in town with medical issues, and there are a lot of people that are homeless in town with medical issues. And We help them get connected to the things that uh, the respective hospitals that they need to get connected to. So there's a big sense of accomplishment with that as well. And we're trying to make inroads with the clinic to be part of that discharge conversation so that when these people are discharged back out to the streets, that they have somebody that will help them negotiate their medical care and things of that nature, uh, just as an advocate. The need that so many people had for an advocate became crystallized for Fifield in a prior career life. Late in life, I became a a registered nurse um, when I was 46, I believe. Worked at an inner city hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, and was exposed to this population, and they became very near and dear to me because they're really an unheard entity in the world. Nobody wants to listen to them. Nobody wants to be around them. But if you sit down and you start to talk to these people, they've got fascinating stories. Moved up here after I after I got married, went to work for one of the hospitals in Rochester, and again, worked with that portion of the population that is experiencing homelessness or, or near experiencing homelessness. And subsequently, during that course of time, um, last November, I, I was working with the family due to the cold weather. I tried to find shelter for them. There was a misunderstanding with other staff members about what I was doing or how it was being done. I subsequently ended up getting suspended for a couple of shifts. Didn't like the way that was going, resigned my position and started the landing. We'd had this vision a year previous to that. When are you going to start the landing, our friends would ask. And we said, well, when God gave us the winning lottery numbers, well, it ended up God gave us the most ridiculous set of circumstances that we could ever imagine being suspended for trying to find a homeless family shelter and took away half of our income. in in the midst of everything so that we would start this. When defining their approach to ending homelessness, Fifield cites one-to-one outreach, helping those struggling with homelessness build confidence in themselves, as many have faced nothing but failure. I think the end goal is just giving them that sense of, yes, I can be successful, because you have to think about these folks that have been chronically homeless. They've got obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that they're facing, trying to get into a minimal apartment at best, and they honestly half the time don't believe that they can do it. Signed a lease with an individual last night. We didn't sign it. He signed his lease on his new apartment, and he told me after the fact, he said, I honestly thought that this was going to blow up before it even happened. 
because nothing ever good has happened to me. Getting these folks to a point where they can see that, yes, good things still happen to them, and yes, they can be successful. That's the end point that I want to see, and we want to help empower them on down the road as well so that they continue to be successful and don't repeat homelessness. There are tangible goals Fifield has for the landing to help make their approach work. Our big picture goal right now is getting the day center up and, and running. We are waiting to hear from uh, a potential landlord of the building that we found that we liked. It's got the location that will work for us. You know, quite honestly, it's a matter of whether or not they're going to let us lease it. And there's a lot of misunderstanding as far as the individuals that we'll be working with, the, the folks that are facing homelessness. The people in the community don't look at them as individuals. They look at them as something other than that. They've got a rather jaded view. Everybody thinks that this is a great idea. They're very pro-landing what we're doing, but not in my neighborhood because of those people. Well, those people are really, quite honestly, a very nice group of people. And, you know, they just have a hard luck story for one reason or another that put them in this position. And all we're trying to do is get them out of that position. Fifield says a big part of their work so far has also focused on driving the need for action home through community engagement. We've had several forums, if you will. We had our C2 forum in May, on May 9th, which was a public forum to help educate the general public on what the issues are in Rochester as far as the homeless. And we had our Faces of Homelessness gallery back in July with photographs by Gary Koenig, who's a very wonderful photographer and well-known photographer in the area that spent a lot of time with the homeless population uh, photographing them and, and all. And it's just to bring that realness of these individuals to the general public and to let them know that they are human beings just like everybody else is. Their story's just a little bit different. So we're just trying to, to get this persona of lazy, sick individuals out of the mainstream and putting them in as real people that have just had experiences that have caused them to become homeless. For more information or to donate, visit thelandingmn.com. Scott, back to you. Thank you for that report, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins will be hosting postseason baseball for the first time since 2010 when the Yankees visit Target Field for Game 3 of the ALDS on Monday night. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm got the lowdown from Twins Communications Manager Matt Hodson. First of all, what's the vibe been like around Target Field? Oh, off the charts euphoric. I mean, it has been amazing. You go nine years between winning a division title you win the AL Central, not only that, but you 
at the second most wins in Minnesota history, 101, setting the all-time home run record, outlasting the three-time defending champ Indians to win the Central. It's just been, it's been amazing. Everybody around here has ear-to-ear grins. It's been busy, it's been hectic, but it's, we'll, we'll take this any day. It's been absolutely amazing. On Thursday, you guys unveiled the new edition of the Homer Hanky. It's been flying off the shelves, I understand. Obviously, fans who go to the games on Monday and Tuesday will get one. Um, did you envision it'd be this popular this uh, quickly? You know, I had an inkling, just knowing how important the Homer Hanky is. You know, even I was talking to my wife, who still has her 87 and 91 Homer Hankies, and you, you talk twins playoff baseball, and the first thing that comes to people's minds are Homer Hankies. It is as much a part of our fabric as Kent Herbeck's Grand Slam in 87 or Touch Em All Kirby Puckett or Jack Morris going back out for the 10th. I mean, the Homer Hankies is much a part of all of that. And so I had a feeling that, again, since it's been a long time coming, that fans were going to be so fired up. And did I think they'd go quite this fast? Uh, I don't know about that. But it's it shows you how fired up twins territory is for this team. And you know what? I can tell you the players, they recognize how, not from day one, at 2.3 million strong in this ballpark, they know how, how excited Twins territory is. Well, and with the Homer Hank, as you mentioned, it's got a special piece of everybody, every sports fan's heart in Minnesota. Um, Bomba season, it says on there. Take yep. us through the design. I know you had some corporate help with um, sponsorship to get this thing distributed to kind of take us through. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it had to uh, unfold pretty quickly, too. It did. You know, we, we began talks a, a month or so ago, not wanting to get ahead of ourselves too much, but having a feeling, hey, this team could be playing in October, and, and we can't have October baseball without a Homer Hanky. So we approached the Star Tribune, who originally was the brainchild behind this back in 87. You can't have a Homer Hanky without them. Uh, our good friends at Cub also got on board for this year. And, and yeah, there's some back and forth on design. Uh, what we ended up with was a blend of the nostalgia that still has the same uh, the same font, same kind of look and feel at the top as they did back in 87. But, again, you can't do it in 2019 without paying tribute to the Bomba Squad. So it has our official slogan for October, Bomba Season, imprinted right in the middle. It's a blends the old with the new. And it's red. Um, I know some people have said, why not white? There's a legitimate answer for that. There is. So since we were last in the postseason, I had a home postseason game in 2010. Major League Baseball has implemented new rules, and a white rally towel, a white hanky is no longer allowed during a, a playoff game, or a regular season game for that matter. I think red will look good, too. Uh, Monday night it'll be fun. Can you envision what this uh, target field will look like with uh, 39 or 40,000 people waving the, uh, the red homer hanky? Oh, you know what? It'll be goosebump time to see this packed house, 39,000-plus red homer hankies going. It's, I'm getting chills even just thinking about it right now. I can't wait. Let's play ball. What should fans know, that they, the, those lucky enough to get tickets, uh, about the games Monday and then uh, Tuesday if necessary? So one big change is that gates will be open two and a half hours before game time. That's a little bit longer than we normally have for regular season, but uh, again, it's an MLB rule and a good one that gets fans in here earlier during the uh, during the postseason. So two and a half hours before first pitch, you'll be able to come into Target Field. We'll have a lot going on. All right, very good. It's a fun time. Thanks so much. Enjoy it, Matt. I will. Win Twins. That's Twins Communication Manager Matt Hodson with Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.